In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have like a real estate mogul, like right in front of me here, and her name is Catherine. Catherine, how are you? I'm great, Pamela. I'm great. Oh, it's so awesome to have you here today, Catherine. Thank you so, so much for being here. I am so pumped to hear all about your story because your background is so diverse and not just real estate, but in the philanthropic world, like just so much amazingness that you've got. And like, you know, my opening loaded question is always like, what inspired you on the journey to where you are today? Loaded question. I know. (laughs) That... Is a very, very loaded question, very important question. Thank you. And thank you for having me on your show, Pamela. I was really looking forward to being here with you today. I would say what's inspired me or who's inspired me is really my mother and her encouragement and support growing up and really just encouraging me to keep moving forward, to not let perceived obstacles or barriers get in my way and to really not only aim high, but fly high. And she always encouraged me to fly high. And so I try and soar like an eagle and let my light shine every day. That's amazing. And now, and like your career trajectory, because it's been so diverse. First, what did you want to be when you grew up? That's a question for you. And then we'll jump into where you, you know, career-wise, what that path looked like. That, That is a very important question. So my career aspiration when I was five years old was to work at Papa Gino's so that I could get free pizza every day for lunch. That's amazing. So I take it you love pizza just as much as I do, if not more. Yes. Yes. And I realized that career aspiration when I was at college and, and worked in a pizza shop uh, and became a manager. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's amazing. I love pizza. I could talk about pizza all day. Never get sick of it. My parents have had their restaurant since I was 10. So like I never get sick of it. I don't know how. I don't know why, but I could eat it all day. I eat like a child. And that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. Seriously, that's amazing. And now, because your career has pivoted several times to to get you where you are today. So like, what did you start off in first? Like, you know, in in high school, going to college, walk walk me sort of through that process and what you were thinking then and what led you down your path at that time. Yes, I would say I am a tapestry, Pamela, and many lived experiences and really, which has made me who I am today. So I started off in healthcare. And that journey took me through for-profit, nonprofit, government, philanthropy, really trying to understand how different sectors view communities, how they view problems, how they view solutions. So always seeking to understand and always seeking to understand from the other person's or the other stakeholder's point of view mm-hmm. and to figure out how can we collaborate and how can we tackle and address some of our hairiest healthcare problems that persist as 
inequities to this day. And so I love being that connector and bringing together different sectors, different stakeholders to create solutions. I'm very much an out of the box type person and love bringing different groups of folks together to to create sustainable change. That's amazing. So like what led you down that route like in the healthcare space? You know, in the beginning was there a particular person that influenced you or like some experience that led you down that path? It was really my mother and growing up she was a visiting nurse mm. and I was able to go with her to some of her patients' homes, uh, particularly around the holidays where she would give out Christmas presents. And so seeing how different communities, particularly single moms, teenage single moms lived and watching my mom try and support them, uh, not only in terms of healthcare, but just holistically, she would read the police log at night and the obituaries at night, checking on her patients and their families in the community. And so seeing her embrace of the community is really what led me down the path of, of public health and how can we create sustainable change community by community. So broader than patient by, by patient, but really so that the change outlives me and makes a long-term lasting difference. Amazing. And then through healthcare, you pivoted to real estate. So like what? How did that transition happen? How did that inspiration happen? Yes, quite a pivot, pretty unusual and and unique, I think. I was inspired by a a few things. One, inspired by everybody's favorite uncle, rich dad, poor dad, who (laughs) really opened my eyes to the power of real estate and the power of thinking and the power of creating a legacy Mm -hmm. and how you can create generational change. Two, I graduated from grad school in August of 08 and Ooh, 08. couldn't get a job. And so started consulting, but all of a sudden eyes wide open to the larger economy. Whereas before Kinley hadn't been paying that much attention to the larger economy and what was going on. And so that experience forever made me a proponent of real estate and real estate investing instead of candidly stock market, stock market investing as a way for folks to reach not only financial freedom, but I'm very much a proponent of of financial happiness, thanks to one of my mentors, George Antone. So, so those two, I think, pivoting moments is what started me down the path of real estate and real estate investing and really believing that everybody needs a clean, safe and affordable place to live, bringing with me my social justice lens to real estate investing, wanting to understand the unspoken rules in real estate and how is wealth built and kept in America and share those unspoken rules, particularly with women, people of color, immigrants, again, from a social justice lens to really shape ultimately families, communities, and, and generations. And so that inquiry has also brought me down the line in real estate across multiple asset classes, multiple geographies, short and long-term debt positions and equity positions. And so at this point, I, I have this rich real estate experience as well, too, and speak ultimately many, speak many languages, if you will, Pamela, between healthcare and real estate and working with so many great, amazing people and, and stakeholders throughout my career. 
I love that. So in the healthcare space, because oftentimes, like when you think about healthcare, like I just think about doctors and nurses, right? So like, and you're talking about this bigger picture change in the healthcare world. So like with that, can you elaborate a little bit about like what that is, you know, to like the outside person who's like, not thinking how like healthcare can truly change and transform, like you're saying, you know, like basically what you're working on in that realm to create that change. Sure, sure. I guess I would say ultimately you can map poverty and you can map disease and certain communities are disproportionately impacted by different health conditions and certainly COVID brought that to light. And so by focusing on clean, safe and affordable housing, clean, healthy, happy communities, that then has reverberating effects on individuals' health and their health outcomes, and as well as their ultimate empowerment and resiliency. And so for me, it's a, it's a way to create sustainable change, because if you can transform a neighborhood, you can ultimately transform a community and, and impact positively future generations. Right. And you know, what's really interesting is, so I've read, and I think this is epigenetics by Dr. Bruce Lipton, that what's fascinating about what you're saying is like your environment can alter your DNA positively or negatively. So you're saying that your environment is linked to your health conditions, which is crazy to think about. It's crazy to think about, right? So like in, and I've noticed that too, that in lower income areas, diabetes is through the roof, through the roof. Cancer is through the roof. And it's like, it all makes sense because if you look at our food system in America, anything with lots of sugars is always cheaper. Anything that's supposed to be good for you and organic is always so much more expensive. And it's like, even within our food system that lies. So it's fascinating to see, like, there is a whole magnitude of picture here. And like the real estate portion, like, I'm kind of not surprised you got into that realm because it ties together so nicely. But a lot of people wouldn't think that healthcare and real estate go hand in hand. By creating a positive environment, you could alter somebody's DNA to live a better life, which is nuts. Like, it's mind blowing. You're just like, what? (laughs) Like that exists, right? Because a lot of people don't think that these things correlate, which I think is so cool. Did you have like an aha moment where you realized you're like, hold up, this is intertwined, right? Yes. I think I certainly always knew that from the healthcare space, if you will, but it was stepping into the housing space and seeing the possibilities and the opportunities that really sharpened that for me and kind of made it more clear for how I can move forward on my vision, my goals and support others as as well too. Yes. And to your point, it's oftentimes very invisible. We don't necessarily always think about the intersections. And I would say that we have, we each have more power individually than we realize we do and can use that power to create some really cool things, positive outcomes. Right. What are some of the patterns that you've seen throughout your healthcare experience that really indicates, and I know you said COVID sort of brought it to light, but what are some major indicators that you've seen that like have alarmed you and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, to push you to be like, all right, I want to create healthy, affordable, sustainable housing. I think it's really just a great question, but going to where people, patients live, work and play. And I was fortunate, if you will, to get outside of the four walls of a hospital or a clinic 
and do some really innovative work to reach people where they live, work, and play to provide healthcare, recognizing that some people will never access traditional healthcare. And so through my work at Gilead Sciences to address HIV and disparities in HIV testing and screening and ultimately access, we were able to create some amazing pilots and partner with local partners like the DMV in Ward 7 and 8 in Washington, D.C., where no one ever goes across uh, the river or WIC in Chicago or the NAACP and, and the Black Church and mm. really just do some amazing partnerships to reach people where they live, work, and play. And so I think that experience in particular really opened my eyes to the power of what we say in healthcare, the built environment and mm. how that can impact an individual's health. That's crazy. This was in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nation, nationwide, nationwide. nationwide. Wow. That's so fascinating. It's just to me, like it blows my mind how like they actually are super connected because it's just like, they just seem like polar opposite worlds to me. Even like before you started speaking, I'm like healthcare. And then I was like, and then I just thought about the epigenetics and I'm like, well, yeah, because your DNA is altered by your environment and the people you surround yourself with. Right. Like when they say your net worth is based on the people that you surround yourself with, which is so nut, but there's actual scientific proof now that it does alter and like it couldn't predetermine health conditions based on your location and really all of that, which I, it's just mind blowing throughout your experiences because you've navigated the healthcare world. You've also navigated the real estate world as a woman and also as a woman of color. So like your experiences throughout the process, what was that like throughout both in both industries, if you will, because I've experienced it on the real estate side as a female like immigrant, if you will, but everyone's experiences are different. So I'd love to hear really all about you and how, you, how you've navigated through both. Yes, it's certainly been a journey. I would say as a woman, a, a woman of color and a young woman of color, because I think yes. age was the other component, because particularly when you're a leader, oftentimes you're pushing, you're the first and you're perhaps the only in the room. And so having the confidence to speak up and put yourself out there or the courage to speak up and put yourself out there, if you don't have the confidence to at least have the courage to do that, um, takes a lot. And so certainly experienced that probably throughout my entire life in healthcare and housing, particularly, I would say a little bit more on the real estate side, just because it is so male dominated and you can't be shy about being a female investor and developer in a networking room where 95% are, are men or the women who come are just sometimes the supportive partners, but not the active investor herself. And so not only having the confidence to speak up, but also connect with and support other women is huge for me because I know that there are a lot of women who want to get into real estate investing and, and development, but aren't sure how. And women work better in teams, just like how the WNBA illustrates. Yeah. Um, women will pass the ball a lot more and we work better in, in teams. And so what does that look like in the real estate space and how can we support each other as well so that everybody wins? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there was there some like experiences throughout the way that were challenging for you as you were navigating through? Because I know every story has its 
ups, downs, sideways, side to side and all that. And I, and I always talk about it too, that like when I first started first three to five years of real estate development, it was like, you know, everyone looks at me now and they're like, wow, Pam, you sold, developed, or acquired over hundred mil in the last, you know, eight years and you're 29 years old and you're licensed GC and you do this. And I'm like, yeah, that's all hustle. But like in the beginning, the first three to five years was like, I was literally like racking my brains and like racking up my credit cards while I was at it because I was so ambitious and I wanted to do so much that I wasn't like financially forecasting like cash flow as well as I should have been dealing with two restaurants plus doing my flips and everything like that. So I put myself in some bad position sometimes and like messed up my credit a little bit. You know, like there's all these experiences that we go through, through our careers and through our journeys that like, eek, that wasn't like the greatest thing, but it's, you know, what were some of your biggest, if you will, I don't like to say failures. I like to say lessons that you learned really throughout your trajectory and like how you overcame them. Because I know there's people listening that may be going through something similar right now and helping them navigate through that hump is always the most important. So I'd love to hear. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I agree because I, I don't look at them as, as failures, only just lessons. So it's almost hard for me to, to think of things that didn't go right because it they almost always translate into lessons in, in my brain, if you will. But yes, everything from learning about the importance of state law and how that plays out and everything from evictions to non-performing notes and really understanding, okay, I've got to learn state law wherever I'm operating in because I've made some mistakes not understanding investing in a new state or without understanding the full ramifications and whether it's a landlord friendly or a tenant friendly state. And um, I would say that's probably one important lesson learned that I've learned over my career. Another lesson learned is around inaction and taking, you know, lots of great, amazing real estate education classes and then not doing anything with them for a while, (laughs) which I know is, is a common one. But I think it's real. And one of the things that helped me get over that in action was just connecting with other investors and following up and having a business partner. And ultimately that business partner didn't work out, which I guess one could say is a failure, but through life brought me to my current business partner and we work really well together. And I for my business even more because of our collaboration and, and business partnership then alone. Yeah. So it was in the, in the real estate partnership that, that you were mentioning that. Yep. And, and yeah. then the first time I just wanted to backtrack in terms of landlord friendly and pet friendly, just so anybody who's listening, that's not in real estate. I mean, there's such thing as states that basically have policies that are driven towards the landlord. And then there's some that have policies driven towards the tenant. So Massachusetts, for example, is a tenant friendly state. So FYI, anyone who's listening. So basically anyone who's doing investment, very important to know that, especially in multifamily. So I just wanted to backtrack so they knew what exactly it was that you meant with pet friendly and tenant friendly and all. And then the, and then the partners, real estate partners. I mean, that's, those are lessons right there. My God, <laughs> I've had my fair share with that too. At the beginning, you know, when you first start and you don't have the experience and you do have partners into the mix and like, you know, how do you navigate through that when things aren't going so great. And how did you sort of handle that? I mean, so I guess the first step was I didn't, and I'm glad I you know, didn't formally partner. We each had our own entities because 
a business partnership or relationship is very close to if you were to get married with someone, as soon as you co-mingle within that same entity, it's really hard to un-co-mingle, if you will. So, (laughs) so glad that, you know, despite the first business partnership not working out, at least it wasn't a long-term ramifications because we had each maintained our own individual entities. So that would be one big piece of advice. And then with my current business partner, we each still have our own individual entities and, and corporations, but collaborate on a lot of projects, have weekly business meetings, you know, agendas, but importantly, quarterly goals, annual goals that we're driving toward. Yeah. So tell me about how you work with your own entity into a partnership, because I know that there's a lot of people listening that don't know that this can even exist, because I think that's so important that you can still affiliate with someone on a business level, but you're still separate, which I think is really, really key. Cause I feel like a lot of people make the same mistake of co-mingling and getting into one entity with multiple partners. So how, if you could share how you did that, cause that's huge. Sure. I mean, I appreciate the question. I think, I guess I would say for us, it was really just at first testing the waters and making sure that we are aligned philosophically, aligned in terms of our values, aligned in terms of execution, and aligned in terms of, of goals. And so have grown our business partnership over time to this day where we're now having weekly meetings and agendas and minutes and action items and running very much in sync, but as an entity perspective, still very separate on the back end. Gotcha. So basically you can go enter into a deal with two entities. That's possible. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. And you lay that out in like the operating agreement on how that works? I guess it depends on what type of agreement you're talking about, because certainly, as you know, there's different partnerships where five individuals could be five different entities come together to purchase an asset and a a small scale equity partnership, if you will, for an individual asset. And those five entities may be part of a larger LLC for that one asset. But then that's different than two corporations coming together. A lot of people don't know that you can do that. So that's why I'm like, how'd you do it? So they can sort of like figure out like, okay, yeah, this is possible. Don't co-mingle with anybody else. Use your own entity because also you're protected by business liability at that point too. Right. When you're using your entities. That's brilliant. You mentioned a mentor. Was it George Anton? Yes, George Antone. Yes. Yeah, George Antone. So tell me about him. Like, how'd you meet him? Like, how did it all sort of come together between you two? And then like, what inspired you about him? Yes, I was inspired by George because he is one of the nicest, humblest people that I've ever met. And you would never know that he's so accomplished and has done all of these amazing real estate transactions and really achieved a lot in his life. He's just super relatable and caring and wants to make sure that I'm successful and that each person that he mentors is successful and that he supports is successful. And so it's really that humility coupled with desire to make a difference was really inspiring for me. And so through George, I learned and ultimately embraced the concept of financial happiness which takes Robert Kiyosaki's premise of financial freedom to a step further. And so financial freedom is where you have enough 
passive income coming in to replace your W-2 income is many people tend to define it, if you will, so that you don't have to quote unquote work in your W-2 job. Um, but financial happiness takes it to a step further and really flips it. And it becomes about your life and what is your ideal life? Mm. Because oftentimes we're just so busy doing, and then we look back and there's our life. But, but what does it mean to proactively create your life? And what do you want out of life? And what's important to you? And is it, you know, for me, working out and yoga and Zumba and walking and seeing family and friends and going to the beach? And then how do you then shape your business, your company, your revenue streams to achieve your ideal life that's important to you? So it just totally flips the switch instead of starting with the business. And then there's your life. How do you create the life that you want and then use the business to create that life? So I'm a big proponent of financial happiness and working with others, working with my clients to really understand what's important to them. and Why are we here on earth? And life is short. And I'm just really a big proponent of soaking it all up and, and making the most of our time here. Right. And I think the most precious gift is time. Like you said, it's like, if your income can be replaced, like what else would you do? Like I always ask people, I'm like, you know, if you didn't have to worry about money, like what would you be doing? Seriously, what would you be doing if it wasn't for the money? If you had something that replaced your income, like what would you be doing? Yeah. And they're like, that's possible? Yes, totally is. And real estate is like one of the very few vehicles that I know that have the potential to leverage your life that way, where you make money when you sleep, right? Rental income. For me, it, it's a combination of likely traveling and traveling around the world internationally because I love to travel and meet new people and meet new cultures and just soak it all up. Likely serving on a few boards and likely still doing real estate because I, I love real estate. And so I think I would still be doing that on the side, so to speak, because it's just so much fun. That's awesome. So going from like healthcare to real estate, which are like two different parallel worlds, if you will, and you still find a way to balance both. How did you integrate real estate in, in such a way? Because a lot of people I feel like are so afraid to take the jump to the next level of their career to want to diversify because they feel like, oh, well, I have a full-time job. Like I can't possibly get involved in this. And like with real estate, I've always told people like, you can be as active and as passive as you possibly want. You choose. So how were you able to sort of integrate that into your own life? Yes. No, that's a great, great question. A great point. For many years, it was healthcare by day, real estate by night and living two dual lives, parallel lives where they did not intersect, if you will. And partly it was a little bit of concerned that some of my W-2 employers would think that I'm not giving my all to the W-2 work if they knew I was doing real estate and just kind of navigating those spaces. And, and so it's not till recently, if you will, that I've been able to combine the two and leverage the two and realize what a unique skill set I have. And instead of hiding my light, really embracing it and combining the two to be even more powerful. And so that's really the, the journey that I'm on now is continuing to combine leverage and exponentially grow the two together. And so that's taking me more into the affordable housing space mm. or into addressing homelessness and housing insecurity and really bridging the gaps between housing and healthcare, not only for me as a person, but for the two sectors themselves and bringing together the stakeholders yeah. um, to create those solutions together. 
And so to your question about how active you want to get involved in real estate, couldn't agree more because there are many folks who want to get involved in real estate and the advice is, you know, don't make it a hobby, treat it like a job, which is very true. But I also believe not everybody needs to be a full-time active real estate investor because it's a lot of work that's biting off a lot. And (laughs) yes, it is. I can tell you firsthand, (laughs) I'm like, ah run to the site. There's craziness and madness going on here. Oh, we got to replace all the plumbing here. It's like, oh my God, you know, getting the calls from the plumber. So yeah, it can be as active and as passive as you possibly want, which is so important to notate. So important. Yes. And I think, you know, and it's been, that has taken me on a journey from active to passive and across asset classes and across geographies. And it is a journey because you're figuring out what's important to you. What is your ideal life? And I think being a passive investor can be just as powerful because then you're still having your money work for you, but you're not focused on the day in, day out of an active project. And as wonderful as real estate is, there's there's certainly risk involved and you need to work with people who know what they're doing. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, I've made mistakes and I've seen a lot of mistakes where people maybe, you know, sign on the line to participate in a real estate project, but they're not really protected because the way it's set up, it's not in a separate LLC. And so, you know, you can, you can lose in real estate as well too. So it's always helpful to dip your toe in the water, start small, learn and grow from there. Yeah. Find your sandbox. I say, because I, I dabbled in so much and I was like, you know, what, where are my biggest strengths? And it's like, mine is development, but then I also love adding value to people. So it's like on the brokerage side, I can also help on that end, but I like to keep it exclusive. I don't like to work like with everyone, like, cause then it just gets crazy. I'm training my team. When I get my team that like fully can execute exactly the same as I can, meaning out there on the marketplace in terms of active listings and stuff like that, then, then I'm like, okay, I'll be, they can replicate me. Other than that, it's, it can get super tricky, but it's like finding your sandbox and like, where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? How active, how passive do you want to be? Which I think is so, so cool. So, so cool. What would be like your biggest tip in real estate? Would you say based on your experience so far? Gosh, I would say to not be afraid to ask questions. Real estate has its own language, I like to say. So it's like, <laughs> questions are a very big deal because you're like, what is that? <laughs> What's that? Oh, okay. You know, you, you'll find yourself on Google a lot if you're like <laughs> getting in the real estate game, you know, yeah. in any space within real estate, especially mm-hmm. investment side. Exactly, exactly. And so do not feel dumb to ask a question when you're talking with someone about a project and put yourself out there. Awesome. And like, you know, based on your experience in in both worlds, and I love that you've culminated them together in such a beautiful and harmonious way in ways that people would never think that they coexist so much between real estate and healthcare. What would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? It could be business, it could be personal, what whatever. It would certainly be to invest more, invest earlier, kind of speaking to that period of inaction that I referenced earlier and to not be afraid to move forward. One, two, to connect with other like-minded individuals and to stay in touch with them because those folks, individuals, friends, business partners are really what keep you going and sharing ideas and synergies is, is super powerful because it opens up new possibilities and opportunities that you may have not seen or may have not been aware of or, or, or know of. So really just connecting with people is huge. 
I love that. I love that. And like, Catherine, like, what are you up to in, in your world now? Like what's coming up in like the next 12 months for you? Would you say what's, what's on the horizon? Every day unfolds, Pamela, <laughs> differently, but. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it, right? Yes. Yes. In general, I would say that. So right now I am excited because I'm going to be serving as a general partner for an upcoming project in Boston, which I'm really excited as a female investor and investor of color to really be in that leadership role and being really intentional about what I'm creating. And I'm, uh, so to speak, I'm proud to say that the majority of our debt and equity partners are people of color and immigrants. I'm proud to say that our contractor and subs are people of color. I'm proud to say that we're investing in Dorchester. And so just really like a potentially radical shift if you look at how wealth is built and, and kept and using Boston as the example, since that's um, our current home base. But as many folks know, the seaport and other areas were created by those that had wealth and ultimately they were able to keep their wealth and grow their wealth. So for me, it's a form of social justice. And that's why I say we each individually have power. We may not realize how much power we each individually have, but it's those small actions and decisions that you can create something that's really meaningful and really powerful and helps on so many different levels. So for me, I'm excited to step into this, or I am in this GP leadership role and to continue to build on that momentum with additional projects, investing in the community, and similarly supporting and giving opportunities to invest for people who may not usually have that opportunity and, and same on the contracting side. And I say that because it's interesting to me in the larger environment. Right now, there's different funds that are popping up, like DE&I funds for investors of color in particular, where in, from an equity perspective, they want to reach more people of color. And, and, but it's interesting to me because these are institutional funds or just larger funds, which to me seem more disconnected to from the community, uh, if you will, and, and to meaningful change. And I think it's pretty powerful that, yes, we can say we're women-owned, minority-owned, we're investing in the community, we, we care, we're going to create clean, safe, and affordable housing. So really just living in that leadership intersection role and then continuing on the healthcare and housing side of my consulting practice and working with affordable housing providers to bridge that gap, uh, if you will, may not speak healthcare with fluency of a healthcare provider and to bridge that gap to create solution, solutions on the affordable housing, homelessness, and housing insecurity space as well. That's so exciting. I'm pumped to see what you create in the future, to be completely honest. Like, I think it's going to be so remarkable. And you're incorporating some really amazing elements. Like I said, healthcare, real estate, social justice, inequalities, and really like merging them into one, which is so cool. And like, I know you're going to like take that and replicate it and just crush it with that. So that's super exciting. Oh man, Catherine, you're amazing. And now like, where can everybody find you? Any social media, email, whatever, whatever you want to share. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. <laughs> I can be reached. My uh, website is 43 West Property. So the number four, the number three, West, W-E-S-T Properties. And my email is Catherine at 43 West Properties, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at 43 West Properties.com. And I always, as you can tell, love connecting with new folks 
wherever they are in their journey, whatever they're thinking about and however I can be helpful because I believe we're all in this together and we're better and stronger together the more that we collaborate and support each other. Thank you so much, Catherine. It was such an honor having you here today. So thank you for your time. I'm pumped to see what you create in the future. And thank you, thank you, thank you. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.